For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a Lee Enterprises podcast. I'm Amber Moten, the producer and editor of the show, filling in for Nat Cardona, who's taking some well-deserved time off. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes of our series about the Osage Reign of Terror, please go back and listen to those before starting this one. So far, we've talked about the history of the Osage tribe and how they ended up in what became the state of Oklahoma, their oil-rich land and how those rights were divided, and the horrible series of murders or suspicious deaths, kidnappings, and the environment of fear that made up what historians and journalists call the Reign of Terror. This week, we're talking about the investigations into the crimes, what they found, and, and more. Randy Crable of the Tulsa World reminds us about how difficult it was to get proper investigations into the deaths in the Osage community, who hired private detectives to find the cause for the suspicious deaths. The Osage Tribal Council finally petitioned the federal government to send investigators, and in April of 1923, the Bureau of Investigation, the precursor to the FBI, assigned agents to the case. Here's what Randy had to say about the investigation. Uh, well, it, it was called the Reign of Terror because people just lived in terror. They were afraid to to talk. And when the FBI came in there in uh, 1923 to try and uh, sort things out uh, in their in their uh, letters and reports and so forth from that time, they, you know, they talk about how people are just terrified to talk, and and uh, they would not talk to outsiders at all and in fact is is has been talked about a lot with with this book and movie they they wound up putting some some men undercover to try and insinuate themselves into the community so they could get information because people were afraid if they if they told what they knew or what they thought and they were honest about it they they'd be killed and uh and this and this was true of a lot of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Molly uh, Burkhardt at one time, uh, she told her, her priest that she was afraid. Uh, just, you know, people, people who were not part of the, uh, and even some of them who were part of the, these, these organizations that were, that were doing these things, were afraid to talk about it. And sometimes they were afraid to talk about it because they were involved too, you know, but, but they, often they were afraid to talk about it because of, of repercussions against themselves. Tulsa World's Jimmy Trammell commented about the investigation's primary target. Who were the, the FBI, you know, kind of focusing on or suspecting of all these crimes? Well, uh, Jesse Plemons plays the FBI character, I think, in the, in the film. And uh, as far as the actual suspects, you had some uh, other people had kind of amateurishly tried to be the detective or figure this out or were, you know, paid to find things out. What ended up happening was the gentleman who was 
ultimately the suspect and the primary culprit and was put on trial, many people was like, oh my, he could, it couldn't be that guy. He couldn't do it because he's friendly. He was friendly to the most ages, but it, I mean, you just never know. I mean, it was kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of deal. I asked Tulsa World's Tim Stanley about how well the BOI investigated and who they held responsible for the 24 murders that they determined were on an official record. Federal investigators did a good job in, in so far as it went. I mean, they did uh, um, they did investigate it. They did uh, um, bring charges and they did get convictions. Um, I think the problem is, is that they were more or less content to kind of tie a bow on the whole thing at that point um, and then move on, which I mean, that's we see that even today um, in cases of mass killings or where you have serial killers or, or suspected of being connected to any number of deaths. Once they get the conviction on on one or two deaths and they get that person off the street, often that's the end of it. Um, you know, for them, that. You know the value in the case to them has you know they've they've achieved uh but that's yeah i mean i think that's kind of what you had here is you it was investigated and the federal agency which you know as you, we may have discussed previously the one that it would become the fbi um they did they did a solid job and in, in bringing at least some justice in this case but they were they didn't really want to dig any further than than just the initial uh, investigation um i mean j edgar hoover you know who was the boss at the time uh you know he got he was well known for um enjoying publicity he saw that as valuable to the agency and he's right i mean public relations matter so uh, you know coming in and getting this uh, getting some convictions here getting a lot of good press out of it i think satisfied him and he had, had no reason to uh, to investigate it or direct that it be investigated further um so yeah unfortunate but you know what that leaves is us here you know 100 years later and and tribal members over the decades uh leaves us all asking a lot of questions that unfortunately can never be answered how many people were eventually held responsible or convicted, at least, of some of these crimes? There were three principal convictions, um, and the one that's you know most significant is the trial and conviction of, of William Hale, um, and and two of the others who were convicted along with him were associates of his. He he has always been considered the mastermind behind many the slayings although again i think as we just discussed the investigators were were pretty happy to hang the whole thing on him um that made it uh you know a cleaner case and and then they could move on in all likelihood you know there were many other perpetrators acting independently of, of mr hale uh just opportunists again um, close family members who saw an opportunity to inherit. He was the primary conviction. He was, um, and he was important, very significant. Even if, even if the feds didn't, you know, go any further than this, I mean, it's just, you know, without a doubt, he was behind several of them. Um, and, um, you know, he ended up, I think everyone, the three, Hale and his associates, were given life sentences, but they were all eventually paroled after just a handful of years, which, you know, is kind of a sad 
you know, footnote to this is that while they did face justice, while they um, were convicted, you know, they, they did end up not serving all that long. And um, so while the people obviously, it's often this way with justice, but obviously the people that they killed, um, you know, that, that was it for them. But these guys did eventually get to get out. Uh, but yeah, so three primary, there may have been some others in, in some tangentially related uh, cases, but uh, three primary um, convictions, and with William Hale being the chief one. We have to take a quick break, so don't go too far. And Randy added more details about those held responsible and a little about those who weren't. How many people were held responsible for the reign of terror? Almost no one. Almost no one. Um, so in the case of uh, the, the, the murders that are uh, highlighted in Killers of the Flower Moon, the, the the two main defendants, it, as it turned out, were Bill Hale, who was accused of being the, kind of the mastermind, and a guy named John Ramsey, who was kind of a, a ne'er-do-well cowboy who uh, basically just, you know, did whatever Hale told him to do. And so uh, each of them was tried three times in federal court for the same murder. And and uh, they were the first time was a hung jury. They were convicted. This each they were convicted in the next two. And and after the first conviction, there was an appeal, and so they had to be tried again. So those two guys went to prison. Uh, uh, Molly Burkhart's husband uh, also went to prison. Uh, a guy named Kelsey Morrison, who killed uh, Anna Brown, who was who was Molly Burkhart's sister, he went to prison. Byron Burkhart, who who was uh, Molly Burkhart's uh, brother-in-law, even though he had confessed to killing Anna Brown, never went to prison. Uh, he he testified against uh, Kelsey Morrison, and and his trial ended in a hung jury. He was never retried. And I'm getting a little bit off your your uh, question here, but I think you'll find this interesting. In the '60s, there was an Osage woman die, and she left behind a letter that said, "If something happens to me, look at Byron." Well. She was living with Byron Burkhart, who had been involved in these things 40 mm-hmm. years before. And, and, he, and again, he, he, nothing ever happened to him. So I think there were some others that were prosecuted, but, but there were very few. And one of the things you realize, especially in going through these FBI papers and reading the, the trial stories, is how hard it was to get convictions in these things. And and in in Hale's case, he had a lot of money, and he just pretty blatantly went out and bought, uh, tried to buy alibis. I mean, the uh, the federal uh, officials and and some of the state officials that they were working with were just furious at at what they considered to be uh, dishonest and and unethical behavior behavior by his lawyers and some of these lawyers were pretty 
well-known. One of them was a former attorney general in the state of Oklahoma, the, 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 his defense lawyers. <laughs> so the answer to your question is not many, and not only did not many you know, go to prison over this, they really didn't stay very long. Mm-hmm. Bill Hale got out in 16 years. But Burkhart got out uh, before that, but then got in trouble again. He violated parole, and so they put him back in in prison. Uh, Kelsey Morrison got out in a few years and was killed in a shootout in Texas. So, uh, you know, most of these guys, they didn't serve very long. And I, I remember, you know, I was reading some of this stuff, and at the same time we had the um, – had the Jones case going on here and uh and you know whether you think he's guilty or whatever but I just I couldn't help thinking about the difference in the way you know we think about at least in Oklahoma it's pretty routine for people to get life without parole if not the death penalty and these guys were out in 16 years mm-hmm. so you know I'm sure somebody who um, is a lot smarter than I am could could try and figure out what all of the different uh, racial biases and so forth uh, mm-hmm. were in the criminal justice system or are in the criminal justice system. I will say just in general at that time, they didn't they tended not to keep people in prison any longer than they had to. They were you know they they were it wasn't for profit back then <laughs> it wasn't well no it was a, it was a cost and and a lot of the states didn't have a lot of money to to they'd rather turn the guys loose than than uh, mm-hmm. keep housing and feeding them it, right yeah exactly how did the government kind of impact this the fbi came in to investigate was the federal government making sure allocations and money were going to the right places and right people? Was it state or was it tribal responsibilities? So in theory, and this is one of the the things that we're still fighting about in Oklahoma, but uh, in theory, the uh, the Osage Reservation was dissolved at statehood. And that's pretty much held up uh, even with some recent uh, Supreme Court decisions that have decided that some of the other reservations weren't dissolved at statehood. So it, it was dissolved at statehood. However, you still had the Osages owned a, a lot of the land there because it had been allotted to them. So, uh, again, this gets a little complicated, but uh, the state officials did not think they could get a conviction in this case in state court in in Pawhuska. they wanted the federal government to come in they wanted the, the the and so the federal government has jurisdiction over indian land and uh and so and, and there was a lot of discussion at the time do our guys even have uh, any kind of authority here the the FBI was not even the FBI at that time. It was just the Bureau of Investigation in the Department of Justice, and it had very, very limited authority. Uh, and so the, the key, sort of the key thing in, in bringing this case down, or one of the key things, was that one of the men who, who was killed, Henry Roan, was killed 
on an allotment that was still owned by the original allottee. The uh, federal judge in Oklahoma originally ruled that the federal government didn't have authority over that allotment. And it went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court said no, an allotment is Indian land. And that means the federal the federal government has the authority to 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 do this, and so almost all of the real um, police work, if you will, on this was done by the by the Bureau of Investigation. Uh, they were helped by, somewhat by state and local officials, but in their letters they talk about. They just didn't feel like there were many of those people they could trust because of their uh, interest in, um, uh, first of all, what was going on in Osage County, but then more broadly, um, you know, they did not want anybody looking too closely into the what was going on with these Indian allotments and and in the mineral rights. So um, so the f involvement of the federal government was key. It's really unlikely that, that anything could have been done. And the Osage Nation had actually gone to uh, Congress and asked them to intervene. The Osages paid a big part and maybe all of the federal government's expenses in prosecuting this case. They paid the federal government to investigate these, uh, or at least they paid the expenses of the federal government to, to do that. I think another important uh, person in this that, that does not get a lot of attention was Charles Curtis. And Charles Curtis was a U.S. Senator from Kansas whose mother was a Kaw Indian who was born in, in, uh, in what is now Oklahoma. And he, he was later the vice president of the United States. And uh, he got involved in it and, and pushed the Department of Justice to do something. And that, folks, is where we're leaving it for this episode. Thanks for listening to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss what's coming up next. A look at where the headrights stand currently with the Osages and how the reign of terror has its own place in pop culture. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.